You're listening to Heartland Politics with Robin Johnson, a presentation of WVIK Quad Cities NPR. Welcome back to the Heartland Politics Show and Podcast, which is aired on and distributed by WVIK Quad Cities NPR. WVIK is the flagship public radio station in the Quad Cities region of northwestern Illinois and eastern Iowa. I'm your host, Robin Johnson, and this is the final Heartland Politics of 2023. And to mark the end of the year and the beginning of a new year, I asked my guests this week to share with us the five top stories of 2023 in Iowa, and to look into his crystal ball and project the top five stories in 2024. I did this last year with journalists on both sides of the river and thought it was fairly interesting. Um, And so the person I have today is a a longtime friend of our show uh, since I first started years ago. He's been on numerous times. He's Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief of the Gazette, and uh, no, there's no better expert, really, on Iowa and government and politics, and I'm really glad that he's um, he's taking the time to be with us today. Aaron, thanks a lot. Oh, you're too kind. Thanks, as always, for having me, Robin. I always enjoy it. Yeah, it's always fun, too. I I, I started doing this last year, and I, it's, it's just interesting to try to condense all the big stories into, say, the top five. And, uh, again, these aren't necessarily rated one through five. It's just the most important stories of the year. So I appreciate you taking the time to do a little research, research for our listeners. Um, go ahead, uh, start with, uh, say, say, one of the top five stories of 2023. Yeah, and mine, mine sort of come in two different chunks, uh, given uh, my job. I, I've got some that... Uh, uh, came out of the Iowa legislature and then somewhat they're more on the political, you know, the campaign uh, election side. Um, so starting at the Capitol, one of the biggest stories of the year, like you said, I didn't rank these, um, but if I did, this might have been my number one, which was all the new um, laws put into effect by state house Republicans regarding LGBTQ youth and students. Um, and, and there was a series of them, the, the law that um, prohibited uh, books and curriculum with depictions of sexual acts, um, prohibiting the teaching of gender identity and sexual orientation. Um, They banned transition surgery treatment for minors and um, did the bill that requires students in in public schools to use the bathrooms that correspond with their gender at birth not if 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 they now identify with a gender um different gender so it's it was a a series of you know it was a legislative session full of of those bills and obviously that's a topic that people are very passionate about on both sides and and made for an intense session quite frankly yes and this i think it's interesting that since since uh the republicans have been able to capture a trifecta and for our listeners, that's control of both houses, the legislature and the governor's office. It seems like every year this is a major story and that they're able to really get through uh, whatever their agenda is for the year. Um, and 
it's always fascinating to me that it's almost the exact opposite in Illinois. That's a, mm-hmm. a, a story for a different, different <laughs> show, but uh, it seems like uh, Illinois has got the trifecta on the Democratic side, and it's, it's, a, it's an interesting case study in the Quad Cities of seeing uh, exact polar opposites of, uh, of legislation enacted. Yep, yep. And to that end, uh, another one on my list is uh, the abortion uh, bill that Republicans passed. So we had, and and this is sort of a two-pronged thing because we had the Supreme Court, uh, the state Supreme Court ruling that uh, uh, changed things. Of course, that happened in 2022 that cleared the um, lane for this this, um, new legislation that they passed, essentially a repeat of the previous bill, but it was significant because when when the 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 what they call the fetal heartbeat bill, which bans abortions once a fetus's heartbeat can be detected, when that was passed the first time, it was pretty widely known that the Supreme Court was going to knock that down. Now we're obviously in a different universe with the post Roe versus Wade, and so this bill. Um, was passed again. It was a very big deal and, and is once again back in the courts. And, and that'll be um, uh, something we may talk about in the second uh, section of our uh, discussion <laughs> here today and what we're looking ahead to. Um, uh, so that was a big moment. And then, and then the other one, my third one from the legislative session was the school savings accounts. Um, the uh, whatever your preferred nomenclature is the um, the ESAs, the scholarships, the vouchers, you may have heard them called. Um, very big, uh, significant moment for State House Republicans, uh, provides taxpayer funding towards um, private school tuition for uh, eventually, it's getting phased in, but eventually anybody who would like to take advantage of that program. And that, that was a huge deal and and something that Republicans, some a certain segment of state house Republicans have been trying to get done for a long time. There was always just quite, not quite enough support to get it across the finish line. And, and 2023 was the year they finally did. Was this the bill, Aaron, as I recall that uh, Governor Reynolds, uh, when it fell short uh, in previous years, ran candidates, uh, <laughs> in primaries to get the that people supported that's exactly right um in in 2022 session uh they came just short on this one didn't have quite enough to get it done and 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 uh, as you said the governor went out and campaigned on on it um and uh resulted in some again not just campaigned on it against Democrats, as you know, to campaign to gone in the primary against fellow Republicans. And, and that resulted in some um, uh, Republicans losing their seats in the Iowa legislature uh, because of that. Uh, and, and so then they came back this session in 2023 with enough support for it. And then uh, interestingly enough, what they passed in 23 and finally got into law was much broader in scope than what didn't pass in 2022. So they they, they failed in 2022, didn't have enough votes, went out on the campaign trail. It proved to be something that the voters seemed to give their blessing to. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing Democrats in my ear saying, that's not necessarily the case. I know there's a debate to be had there about voters' motivations. But the point being, Governor Reynolds went out won those primary challenges her candidates did for the most part she won by almost 20 points in the general election they came back and did an even bigger bill and passed it 
Interesting. And you have some uh, stories from the political side. Of course, government and politics are kind of go together. I, we're just talking about this. The elections have consequences, and here's one of them. And again, on both right. sides of the river, uh, by enacting huge majorities uh, for each party on both sides. That's right. Um, and so then uh, in, the, in the more political, my last two are more in the more in the political sphere and can't help but note this one, uh, the Dem- Iowa Democratic Party losing the first in the nation spot in the in the caucus cycle. That's obviously a huge, huge deal. Now, look, it's something that the, the writing was on the wall coming into the year. It's not something that shocked us necessarily. Uh it was a slow burn to that one, and and the 2020 caucuses were probably the the final nail in the coffin when they had the trouble with re- reporting the results on caucus night. Um, but nonetheless, um, it, it's still just a huge, huge story. Something that Iowa has laid claim to since the the early 70s of being the first state in the nation in both political parties to go first in the presidential nominating process, and now that won't likely be the case anymore it, it certainly isn't going to be this year and 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 uh, unless something changes which is hard to hard to believe could happen um won't be the case anymore going forward so that that's that's a big thing and and has a huge repercussions moving forward for the for the state party and 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 uh for the republicans too i mean they they, they managed to hold on to it for another year but it'll be it'll be interesting to watch the Republican Party nationally now too, and you know, once they see other states going first, might they reconsider moving their calendar around? And and I'm sure that's what keeps Jeff Kaufman up at night uh, these days. So, yeah, and that's that's a national issue with Democrats because a lot of rural Democrats feel like the party pretty much wrote them off, uh, and uh, with some justification, I, I think, in fairness. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's uh, one of the biggest criticisms. And you hear that from Iowa uh, Democrats who say, hey, look, that that's one of the most important roles we play is is uh, we, we give, uh, you know, rural areas, rural Americans a, a voice in in this process. And, and they don't feel, you know, that the trade off to Iowa in the early nominating calendar, I believe their justification was putting Michigan in instead. And and Iowa Democrats said, you know, that's not really the same thing uh and so um yeah you're you're absolutely right it'll be interesting to see not just how this that impacts um uh iowa democrats but the the democratic party nationally too in future presidential elections and then uh staying with the caucuses where we're still where we still are first in the nation my last one my number five or sorry not number five my fifth (laughs) um big story from 2023 is uh, the one we're still in the middle of right now, which is former President Trump dominating the the caucus campaign that will be decided in 2024. But we've been dealing with it for basically three fourths of 2023 um, and, and how the former president just continues to have a stranglehold on Iowa Republican um, voters, Iowa Republican caucus participants. Uh, he His lead in all the polls has been remarkably consistent and commanding. I mean, he has been in the mid forties to upper forties and now even lower fifties, basically since this thing started, it's, it's unbelievable how consistent that um, support for the former president has been really no wavering and no ups and downs. It's been a very steady line. And if you're one of those people who follows those graphs showing the polling averages over a period of time, 
former president Trump's is a straight line right across the top of the chart. Um, and, and everybody else is fighting for second place and it's a distant second as, as of now, as we sit here recording this about three weeks out from the caucuses, actually, yeah, just a, a day under three weeks short of the caucuses. Yeah. So, so, so that, that's a huge story to me that, that, uh, um, you know, we wondered how it would be. It's it's kind of like having an incumbent in the race, even though he's not technically an incumbent, and he's looked like one. Now that something funny can still happen, um, as crazy as it sounds to say, in these last three weeks, someone can have a shoot-up-the-chart moment. We've seen it in the past with Rick Santorum, uh, but as of everything we've seen right now, it, it's, it's Donald Trump's caucus once again. You're listening to Heartland Politics on WVIK Quad Cities NPR. I'm your host, Robin Johnson, and my guest today is Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief of the Gazette. And uh, he's uh, uh, done me a favor, done a little homework over the holidays here, and put together his list of the five top governmental political issues of 2023. He's just listed those out, and now we're going to turn the page to 2024, a huge year. Uh, we know what some of these issues are going to be, but Aaron's put together his list of the top five most important issues in Iowa in 2024. So uh, probably you'll probably segue right, right from that last one to the next one here, starting off. That's exactly right. You read my mind. <laughs> that then nice, perfect segue from the the last one of 23 is the first one of 24 is the the, the caucus results and 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 how this thing ultimately shakes out. Um, like I said, it. it, it the polling has said what it said, and the, and I've seen nothing on the ground to believe that they're wrong um, in any meaningful way um, to, to add that in there, because I know a lot of people have their doubts about polling, and some of that's fair. Uh, some of it goes a little over the top, I think. But um, uh, I, I've seen nothing on the ground that, that makes me think they're way off. Um, but again, I, I, I'll say it again, because it bears repeating, something big can still happen. That's the way Iowa can work and has worked in the past. And I do know that Governor DeSantis and and uh, Nikki Haley in various forms have, at the very least, solid ground games here in Iowa and in the kind of operations that if there's a big surge or a moment that they 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 have the capacity to capture that and and put up big numbers on caucus night and and maybe outperform their polls and and have a big enough night that they come out of Iowa um, with some momentum. Uh, so that can still happen. Just, we just haven't seen it yet. So, so it's going to be really interesting to see if, if that happens. And I keep, every time I get asked to do a, a national cable hit, I, tr I try to remind people of that, that, that I was not necessarily about who wins. So, Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis doesn't have to beat Donald Trump, but they probably do got to do better than 15, 16, 17, where they've been floating around. One of them's got to come out of that a little stronger if the folks in New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, et cetera, et cetera, are going to give them a more serious look. Yeah, whoever's in second will be, uh, uh, I'm sure, messaging like they won. Uh, similar right. to Bill Clinton in New Hampshire back in uh, 92, I remember, 91. But anyway, um, yeah. what's your what, what's another one here? Well, and related to the caucuses, what I'm really interested to see, and especially if Donald Trump go I, either way, but especially if Donald Trump goes on to be the party's nominee, and even more so if, if he wins the general election next year, is what is the political fallout of Governor Reynolds' endorsement of Ron DeSantis in these caucuses? This may be just 
more of a me curiosity as a big story in 2024 than it will actually be as an actual newsworthy big story of 2024. But I am just fascinated by Governor Reynolds' endorsement of Ron DeSantis and the, like I said, looking ahead to 24, the potential for what that means, especially if Donald Trump is the party's standard bearer, you know, for whatever, whether it's even just 2024 until November. Or like I said, if he wins the election, then and is president for another four years. Um, this was just such a fascinating decision to me that Governor Reynolds chose to endorse Governor DeSantis at a time when he was way back in the polls and 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 um, uh, and, and knowing what that that this could happen, that she would have to uh, possibly deal with a uh, former President Trump, um, <laughs> knowing that. She had endorsed someone else. I, I'm I'm just super interested to see how that plays out if if that happens. Yeah, I don't think you're alone. I'm I'm interested too. It was a gutsy move on her part. She put all her chips on the table for yeah. uh, a, a, you know a fellow governor candidate and Ron DeSantis, knowing that Donald Trump doesn't take disloyalty very well. Yeah, um, exactly and. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be very interesting to see whether Trump voters, if Trump does win, kind of set that aside and still be loyal to Reynolds or not, and what Trump does, if anything, to uh, seek retribution, which he's been known to do exactly. for people from both parties. Exactly, exactly. And that's why I say, especially if he goes on to be president, then, and, and you know, look, as governors, you work with the administration fairly regularly on any myriad issues um so that that would be really interesting um the last sort of uh a election um slash politics side of thing i have and then i got a couple to circle back to the legislature for my last two big look aheads but my third one here looking ahead to is uh just the 24 uh presidential election in general and um especially looking at iowa uh, two things that I'll kind of bunch together in this one. One, it's just going to be interesting to me to see what the kind of the um, voter enthusiasm will be like here in Iowa, because it's it's interesting. And in then at that we have the presidential race, but then there's no other statewide race in Iowa. We don't have it's not the statewide, you know, governor, secretary of state, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, election. So we don't have any of those. And we don't have a Senate race at, at the top of the ticket either. So but our our highest you know, races in Iowa are the congressional races. So, so I'll just kind of be interesting to see uh, what voter enthusiasm in Iowa looks like because of that. And then kind of related to that, that, that I'll kind of tie these two together, it are those congressional races and Republicans are coming off having uh, secured all four um, uh, uh, districts with, with Zach Nunn. Uh, winning in the third and and are they able to keep all four of those seats again and, and kind of give us an indication of is this a pendulum swinging back and forth or is this something that maybe Republicans start to get a little bit of a grip on uh, on on all four of these seats uh, uh, obviously Marionette Miller Meeks and Ashley Henson are also in competitive districts but but a little bit less so uh we'll see what the voter mood looks like in those but especially in that third district uh with zach Nunn, that is just such a swinging district so so just kind of the, the the those two things that the the 24 general election uh, to me is going to be interesting to see yeah huge national implications too for a close battle of the house yes and a couple of these iowa districts are going to be really uh important and i think what what's also being what you're saying also is just whether the democrats can kind of get up off the mat um right. they've kind of hit bottom here in the last couple cycles and can they come back and uh 
uh, maybe pick off one of those congressional seats. Yep, that's exactly right. And then uh, for my last two, I go coming back to the state house. Um, and and I met, again, this is another one that dovetails off of the biggest 2023 stories. We expect that in 2024, well, we know in 2024, we just don't know exactly when we'll get the Iowa Supreme Court's ruling on the new uh, abortion bill. That will obviously be a huge story and with huge up implications. Um, and we probably expect that. It's always tough to to predict, but the best guesses for the people who I talk to who are kind of closest to the ground on this is probably after the legislation session towards the end of the judicial season in the late spring, um, early summer. Um, uh, so that would be a huge one. And, and then during the session itself, um, maybe a little bit of a, a, a dull topic and a tough one to um, uh, make sound super interesting one, but one that could have an impact for years to come, which is the tax policy and how far are Republicans going to go on these state income tax reductions, which they've kind of been already doing a, a few in the past. And there's talk now about speeding those up even faster. And and uh, and and it's just an interesting topic to me because obviously everybody loves to hear that um, you're going to have fewer taxes being taken out of your paycheck uh, every two weeks. And that's obviously a great thing at the personal level, but, but there's also, you know, um, in, in our, our, an outcome of that on the other side, which is less revenue coming into the state. And what does that mean for the state budget, especially in the long term, And especially if they go as far as they're talking about, which is wanting to ultimately phase out the state income tax altogether, which just for when, when we started these tax cuts, uh, and this number's gotten a little smaller because they're taking in less. But but when we started these tax cuts, income tax was literally a half of state revenue. So you're talking about eliminating something that at one point was responsible for half of all state revenues. Um, now the budget has been growing to somewhat offset some of those so far. But the more accelerated those become, the tougher it's going to be to offset those reductions. So so it's it's a it's a probably a 224 2024 and beyond uh question but, but the the legislation will happen this year I'm, I'm interested to see how aggressive they're willing to be with those and and what that makes the future of state finances look like and then you start talking about if there are revenue reductions what does that do to public education to medicaid which is another one of the biggest pieces of the pie to state infrastructure roads bridges etc public safety law enforcement you know um uh, it, it's going to be interesting to me to see how aggressive they want to be with those tax cuts. Yeah, it, it they're really imp implementing a conservative agenda over the last couple cycles yep. here. And uh, uh, again, for our listeners, uh, that I, I know our listeners know it too. It's the exact opposite of what's going on in Illinois in mm -hmm. a lot of areas. So um, I got we got a couple minutes left. I'm gonna I got to put you on the spot here, um, please. I you know we've all seen the polling to show Trump way ahead. Um, I, my my instincts tell me that he's still in a good shape to win, but I think it's going to tighten. That's my own, but based on people I'm talking to. But who do you think has the inside inside track for second place? I mean, I'm, uh, Haley's getting a lot of publicity and seems to have momentum, but yet I'm hearing DeSantis really has the stronger ground game, which in Iowa is right. really what's right. most important. Right. And and I think that's exactly why, if you ask me to make a kind of a crystal ball prediction, I, you know, there's um, I don't have any hard evidence of, of which way that'll go. 
so if you ask me based on my gut, I would say DeSantis for that reason. The Americans for Prosperity endorsement will very much help Nikki Haley because they have that system in place, which has been an, an amazing grassroots organization um, and, and worked on uh, various uh, conservative causes in Iowa over a number of years now. But that's still something, you know, that just got onboarded, you know, within the last couple of weeks here. Uh, the DeSantis organization, uh, well, via the super PAC that's endorsing him, supporting him, um, has been building that for a long time now. And so if one or two, one of those two is to ultimately have that surge to whatever degree that looks like, I do feel like Ron DeSantis is the more likely of the two because of that and and be, and because of the way he's campaigned he's done the 99 county tour and is still going and because he just he I, I really think that um argument that he can make when he goes to all these communities and now he has governor reynolds coming with him to say the same thing is that if if you like what governor reynolds has done here in iowa which iowa republicans do then vote for me because i basically did the same exact thing in florida um, I think that's a strong message to Iowa Republican primary slash caucus voters. So so I, I think Nikki Haley's become a very strong and solid candidate. I know she's getting a look from a lot of Iowa Republicans. I've been to some events lately. The, the, the Iowa Republicans have reasons that they like her. Um, uh, but I think if one of those two is going to um, make the big surge here, I think it's more likely to be Governor DeSantis, but it'll be interesting. We'll see. And, and the other, the flip side of that is Nikki Haley seems to be playing more of a multi early state strategy where Governor, whereas Governor DeSantis is really focused on heavily on Iowa. So if DeSantis falls short and gets to third place, um, is he I, is pretty much done? That feels like a nail in the coffin to me. I, I am but one humble reporter here singing in Iowa. My, my 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 answer to that question doesn't ultimately impact things. But if you were to ask me, my, my best guess, a third place finish by Ron DeSantis in Iowa is the end of his presidential primary campaign. I mean, figuratively, I'm sure he goes on and, and stays uh, ended for a few more states. But I don't see how he becomes the nominee if he's not at the very least a, uh, second here in a, in a in a better second than eighteen or nineteen percent. Well, it, Iowa again is going to be right in the middle of the political uh, thicket here uh, coming up this year, not just in the caucuses, but again in these all important congressional races, um, which could have a role in determining uh, control of House representatives in Congress. So um, it's going to be an interesting year, and uh, I look forward to your continued excellent coverage. Uh, Aaron, Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief of the Gazette, has been my guest today and really appreciate you taking the time to give this some thought and prepare for uh, looking back to the top stories of 2023 and looking ahead to 2024. Happy to. Love the chat. And we'll uh, save the list and grade me at the end of the year, see how, how I did predict in 2024. We'll do that. <laughs> Thank Thanks you.
You're listening to Heartland Politics with Robin Johnson, a presentation of WVIK Quad Cities NPR.